0: Hot 1027 Business with Nzinga.
1: All right, thanks for staying with us on Hot Business. So, this is the last interview that I'm doing besides listening to the market commentator. I'm so excited about my next guest. Normally, we do this feature on Thursday, but I'm not going to be around then. Our next guest is an attorney and a legal consultant for about 33 years. She studied law at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. She practiced as an attorney in Australia and worked as a legal advisor in Botswana and Zimbabwe, respectively. I'm reading from her uh, CV verbatim. She was also an activist in the Black Consciousness Movement during the 1970s and moved back to South Africa in the 1990s and worked as a legal advisor at a financial services firm and then opened a law firm, Kunta Inc., which specialized in corporate law. She's also my mom, you know. <laughs> I'm so excited to have Christine Kunta on the show with us tonight. Thanks so much for your time on Hot Business this evening, my lad. For people who don't know you, just describe who you are and how you'd want to introduce yourself. I think you've pretty much done that. I'm also a writer. Um,
0: I'm an author. I've published two poetry books and uh, two other books, uh, one on women in Southern Africa, which I conceptualized and edited and then in nineteen ninety-five I published uh, Who's Afraid of Affirmative Action? Which is just looking at at that stage, um shortly after the elections, um how the corporate world dealt with um the sort of acceptance of black people within the corporate world. And then in 2016, um, I published the book called Why
1: We're Not a Nation. So yes, in addition to an attorney, I'm also a writer. You actually have, I mean, you have such an impressive CV and I'm trying hard not to be overly excited because also in my mother, it's kind of weird. But the, the kind of work that you've done in the South African landscape, whether it comes to the RAND Commission of Inquiry uh, that President, then President Tabumbeki appointed you to, um, serving on boards both private sector and then I think one of the incredible things that you've done is set up a publishing company as well. So you've done so much in this life of yours. What what really drives you to do more than just you know focus on the law which is what you studied? You know, I believe that you have a profession in my case being
0: an attorney and then in the context of South Africa and its history. Um, you can't simply practice your profession in a vacuum. It is quite important, given the high levels of inequality and poverty, that we have to contribute to just reconstituting the nation that we call South Africa. Mm -hmm. And that's a work in progress. So from my days as an activist during the Black Consciousness Movement, working with people like Steve Biko. Um, Um, I've always had this idea that we must contribute to nation building. So that's what drives me to do more than that. I call it national duty. And at some point I felt that I've sort of done my bit for national duty. But I also felt that the last time with the Legal Practice Council, which is my last sort of national duty stint, that that's important, particularly because the first term of a new body that replaced the law society. It's quite important to lay a foundation, and that's what we did. So I think all of us, in whichever corner we are, we've got to understand and commit to doing more than just looking our, after ourselves. So we have to try and,
1: as they say, lift as we rise. That's what motivates me. Mm-hmm. And then you, I mean, you studied in the Western Cape, first of all, and as a student as and a high schooler, you were kicked out of school for protesting against uh, the language policy during apartheid. And then you, as you, you know, you walked to Botswana <laughs> with fancy Italian leather shoes, that's one of the stories I love hearing. You've also seen a lot of adversity on your way to achieving these milestones. What did you say to someone who's going through, adversity at the moment about how you get over or got over those kind of adversities and how you have to keep on going even when things don't look easy. Yes, I
0: I think during apartheid, my story is very much like the story of, I would say, 99% of Black people grow up in a township, poor homes, um, where, you know, the trajectory, particularly for women, you get pregnant at 18 Um, get married if you're lucky at 20 and have more babies and you know just become a domestic worker and I remember in high school my teacher said when we were being playful in class and not paying attention our mathematics teacher said to us so you guys are okay to just go and be domestic workers for white people and I think that you know you certain things hit you And that must have stuck in my head because at some point I looked around me in the township and I thought, this is not me. I don't want to be like this. And that sort of compelled me, even when we were kicked out of high school, to search for another high school. I finished my matric, went to the University of the Western Cape, but only because SASO and PPC, the Black Consciousness movements, decided that we should reject an inferior apartheid education, and we should leave the universities, but they always felt that we should be working through, studying through UNISA, but doing um, activism like uh, adult education. And so I think um, that, that the adversity that we all have gone through, the difference between those who actually rise and overcome that, it's just self-determination and sometimes just someone helping you like my teacher just focusing you and saying "There's there's a different way of doing things which is why I think also even now where we can we must help young people because we have a serious problem of unemployment and sometimes just that support from someone who've been there and who understand can make a difference to one or person's Mm -hmm. life and -hmm. that's quite important
1: I mean you're also an entrepreneur right so running a law firm is not just about giving people advice it's about making sure that the people and the partners who work there your secretaries and all of those are paid and I think you've got quite a unique insight into you know the the opportunities that were there before uh, before democracy post-democracy and where we are now, because there's a lot of discourse ahead of elections about the state of South Africa, the state of business, um and, and the day-to-day realities. And some people say, you know, even though it was really difficult during apartheid, at least some things worked, you know, infrastructure worked properly. I'd just be so interested to hear your views on, on where South Africa is now and the opportunities and challenges. I think, I think, too to suggest that things worked during apartheid is
0: effectively a kind of apartheid denialism, And I reject that completely because I grew up um, in apartheid and during apartheid and nothing worked for us as black people in the township. There was lots and lots of violence. We couldn't go to any school and sometimes parents were too poor. There was no nefsa's. People were too poor to send their children to university, or they didn't even aspire to go to university because there was, when they looked around them, they just saw poverty and people were reduced to living in townships which were inhospitable. So I reject completely those who try and draw an equivalence between the brutality of apartheid and the incompetence in some instances of the post-apartheid um, government and um, today young people have so many opportunities they can go to university yes nefsas is great it's, there's lots of problems at nefsas but the only the problem i have is that the media focuses only on the negative so there are twenty thousand people people the media claims students that haven't received their allowance But they don't talk about the 80% that actually got paid and went through. So young people today have a choice. They can go to any school they want. They can go to any universities they want. We couldn't do that during apartheid. So there is no comparison. We can criticize and we must criticize where there are failures from our democratic government. But there cannot be a, a comparison between democracy and apartheid.
1: Okay, just, uh, you know, in the same way that you were giving the example of uh, 80% maybe doing okay, and then the 20% being highlighted, the media is not a monolith here on Hot Business. We love telling good stories, you know. We, lo- <laughs> we love an optimistic moment on Hot 1027 as well. Um, but just talk to me about outside of the business environment, you do work that focuses on culture and memory and remembering uh, while looking forward. What's the importance of that? And I think, you know, and what's the cultural value and economic value of looking at poets, looking at, uh, you know, book authors and, and, and that part of business? Well, one of, the,
0: one of the most effective methods of colonization and mental colonization was to, to take the history of Africans and distort it and erase it, so that only those parts of the history that demonstrates some kind of backwardness would be elevated and there are incredible stories of African kingdoms and ancient Egypt being an African civilization and what is currently Sudan. West African Mali, where people were able to write, and it removes this mystery, this this myth about Africans being an oral society. In some parts of Africa always, well, I suppose uh, different parts of the continent were at different stages of development. But in West Africa, in East Africa, and even in Southern Africa with Great Zimbabwe, you will find that those stories and um, those stories reject the notion that Africans were back with until the Europeans arrived here. So it's so vital for our psychological equilibrium to understand and remember the stories of our past prior to European arrival on our continent. Because when you don't have those voices and those stories, you continue the marginalization that colonialism um, began. And my motivation for starting Sariti was so that we can understand our past and we can highlight how relevant that past is for our future. Because if you're a people who believe that you are backward, Uh, how is that going to create the future that we think we are entitled to? And so it's very important for our psychological well-being to understand all aspects of our history. And that's why
1: I'm doing that. Fantastic. So we need to wrap up very shortly. But in all the things that you've done, what's the best or what are the highlights uh, of the work that you've done? Or is it in your personal life? Don't say me because that'll be cheesy
0: well i i I think no no, I do think being a mother is a very important it's not an easy but it's a very important achievement but also I think for me it's my books and the initiatives I was part of um in the first twenty twenty five years of this country that actually had a strategic impact on how the country operated. I think I'm very proud of that. And some of the some of the consequences of that impact um hopefully um, are still visible. And now I'm working on I was part of um, doing a BE sector code for the legal profession. And I'm very proud that I was part of a group of legal practitioners um that worked with that and it shortly Uh, to be gazetted because that will have a major impact on changing the nature of the legal profession so that black legal uh, professionals are no longer subjected to apartheid kind of um, procurement policies. And that makes me proud that I'm part of a group of people who have been able to change the lives of
1: some people, if not all people. Well, what a privilege to have spoken to you. Thank you so much for your time, Christine Kunda a multi-hyphenate legal professional, uh, retired, but still doing really incredible work in that space and owner of a publishing house uh, and my mom as well. Thanks for letting me convince you to come onto the radio. I know you're very media shy, but it's just been such a privilege um, speaking to you and having you share a little bit of, of your story with our 1027 listeners. Thank you for
0: having me, but I'm not retired yet. I hope to soon do that. I still do my consulting work and
1: my legal work. Yeah. Um. Yes. Alright, it's time for a short break. When we come back, we're going to be taking a look at what's moving the markets here on Hot 1027. Do you stay with us.
0: Hot 1027 Business with Nzinga.